Well, good morning. If you're visiting with us or if you're watching online, my name is Jared Young. I'm the student pastor here at Mansfield Bible Church, and I got a story to tell you. So last night, I'm at home watching TV, laying in bed, doing what you normally do on a Saturday night. And Greg Lingle messages me and he says, are you awake? It's like, yes, yes, I am. He says, I'm not feeling too good. Can you preach for me this morning? I was like, you got it. I have no idea what I'm going to preach, but you got it. <laughs> so if you will, say a prayer for Greg. Uh, he's not feeling too great this morning. And inevitably, if you're a pastor, that's when it happens. Saturday night. It's always Saturday night. And you either load yourself up with meds and then feel worse after you're done, or you have somebody fill in for you. So this morning, I'll be filling in for him. If you would, take your Bibles, please, and turn to Colossians chapter 1. And if I can ask you all to stand up one more time for the reading of God's word, would you do that for me? I'm gonna start in verse one. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and the faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Verse five, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned from it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ Jesus on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. And so from this day we heard, we have not ceased praying for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Verse 10, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Verse 13, he has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption for the forgiveness of sins. You may be seated. So this morning, we're gonna look primarily through verses nine through 13, but I wanted to kind of give some context to what's going on here. So Paul, he, he's, he's writing the letter to the Colossian church and he starts off and he says, we're always thanking God for you in Christ Jesus because we heard what God's doing in you and in your church. He's transforming your lives. He said, you heard the gospel, the gospel of truth. And what's the gospel? I commit to you that Christ died for your sins and rose from the grave. He says, you heard that and you received it. I also love in verse uh, six, the end of verse six, it says um, that when, the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. What's the grace of God in truth? The gospel. He says, you heard and you understood. But now because of all of that, what should come from this new life in Christ and that's where verse nine comes in. And he says, from this day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Paul says, our prayer for you is that you're filled with the knowledge of God. 
May you be filled with that knowledge. Is it important to understand and to know things? Yes, absolutely. I'm sure all of us have been in a situation where we had no idea what we were doing and we didn't know anything about the situation. As a student pastor, I am never in that situation because if I don't know it, I've got students that they, they are experts in, in everything. But a year after I moved here, went on a family retreat and I'm walking in, uh, on the trails and uh, one of the students goes blasting past me. His name's Drew Mizell. He just ran right, I mean, just, <laughs> right? But, but I'm walking next to another student who I love dearly and he looks at me, he goes, Jared, did you know that bears were uh, indigenous to this area since, uh, up until about 1953? I was like, why would I need to know that? Also, you're in seventh grade. How do you know that? In fact, just roll off of this kid. I love him to death. And he's going to let you know what he knows. And the crazy thing is 99.7% of the time, he's actually right. It's he's actually right. I have another friend in New England where we used to live. My wife's family is from New England. And, and his amount of knowledge is also incredible, but he will come up with stuff that is not true. And it is believable. And you have to look him square in the eye. And there's only one way you can get him to tell the truth. You have to look at him and go, banana? And if he says banana, it's true. If, if he doesn't, he's pulling your leg. It, it's a guessing game at best because you would totally believe it. I mean, he'll random things. He'll just throw them out there and you're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And then like six months later, he's like, you know when I told you this? You're like, yeah. It's like, that's not true. <laughs> so you have to understand, you gotta know the knowledge, be filled with the knowledge of what? It doesn't say the knowledge of your will. It says the knowledge of his will. See, when it comes to God, we have to be filled with the knowledge of God, but it's the knowledge of who God is and who he says he is, not who we think he should be. And that's part of the problem in our culture today. We want to fit God into the box that we understand. Do you know that Thomas Jefferson would cut whole sections out of his Bible if he didn't understand it? Can you imagine really the pages? You're like, oh, yes, uh-huh. Why is verse five missing? It's like, I didn't get it. So he just cut it out. Yeah, I just didn't like it, you know didn't make sense to me, so I just got rid of it. Try, a, try that argumentation on your math teacher. See if she's okay with that. Or your mechanic. Oh, why didn't you put new brake pads on? I didn't like them. I didn't understand them. If any of you have watched the movie The Beverly Hillbillies from way back in the day, they're like, Jethro, did you change the brakes? Yeah, Mom, I took the old ones off yesterday. The new ones are coming in next week. Doesn't work that way can't do that. The same is true for God. It, it doesn't work when we decide that we, this is what God should look like and we stick him in that box because that's not who he said he is and that's not how he operates. And here's the kicker. He didn't operate that way before. He's not going to operate that way now and he will not operate that way in the future just because you think he should. He created all of this. It's all for his purpose and he does exactly what he said he's going to do. Every single time. So the first thing we see here is that knowledge, what, what, what do we do with it, okay? So, so you, you have this knowledge, what is it for? That you may fill with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, verse 10, so as to walk 
in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. This is the reason that you have to have a proper understanding of God and that you be filled with the knowledge of God is not so that you can take that knowledge and be better than somebody else. That's not the purpose of it. Paul says elsewhere, knowledge puffs up. It can make you arrogant. It can make you full of yourself. And that's not the purpose of the knowledge. What's the purpose of the knowledge? The purpose of the knowledge of God is to walk in a manner worthy of God. See, knowledge of the Lord produces a walk that's pleasing to the Lord. It's not pleasing to you. It's not pleasing to man. It's not pleasing to your neighbors. It's not pleasing to your family. It's pleasing to whom? God and God alone. Look, right there. He says, so that as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to whom? Him. It's all about him. Walk in a manner pleasing to him. Why? Because you know who he is and you know what he does and you know what he's given you. A new life in Christ. Look at 2 Peter chapter one. Okay, 2 Peter chapter one. It's again, we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna bite off a bigger passage here, but it's important. 1 Peter 1, 1 through 8. I'm gonna start actually in three. It says, his divine power has granted us, or to us, all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire." Verse five, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For, verse eight, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of of the Lord of our Lord Jesus Christ. For they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sin. He says, if you're not doing these things, then you're ineffective and unfruitful. Peter lays it out there uh, kind of bluntly, just like Paul does every so often in the beginning of Galatians. I'm one of those people, I, I, I appreciate Paul. And he's just, he's gonna lay it out there for you. Peter does it here, but Paul, oh, you foolish Galatians. Like, I, sometimes I feel like I'm in the same, the same spot. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, the, one of the youth group kids, why did you jump off the roof? Well, it's not like I'm that hurt. Are you kidding me? Why did you think that was a good idea? I worked at this camp one time in the summer and we had brand new basketball goals put in, brand new. They were, they, the, the person that put them in was a member of our church and he actually patented these basketball goals and, and they, you could raise and lower them super easy. 
And these kids, their, their idea was one of them was going to, they were going to lower it as far as they could, and one was going to hang on the rim, and then they were going to yank it and pull it all the way up as fast as it could go and try to throw the kid who's hanging on the rim off. I was like, guys. I tell them all the time, guys, that's a moderate to what? Severely bad idea. Yeah, a moderate to severely bad idea. <laughs> bad idea. And when we look, when we look at this, it, it's brass tacks. It's you guys, stop. It, this is foolishness. It's not a good idea. Peter is saying, you need to add to your faith these things. And when you do these things, this walk, those qualities keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful. Also, if you don't have those qualities, he says, you have forgotten who you used to be. You've forgotten who you used to be. I would say you've also forgotten who delivered you from who you used to be. All right. So a, a walk, our walk, our knowledge should produce a walk that's worthy and pleasing of Christ. What's the natural outcome of that walk in verse 10? It says, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Okay, you see it? Increase in the knowledge of God so that you may walk in a manner that pleases God, so that you may bear fruit that pleases God, so that you may grow in what? The knowledge of God. Oh, wait, it, it all works together? Yep, exactly. It all, it's all, it, it all comes back to the knowledge of God. If you, don't, if you have one part of that equation and not the other, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't come back around. You're not growing in the knowledge of God if you're not walking in a way that pleases God. And you're not walking in a way that pleases God if you're not growing in the knowledge of God. It can't, it can't happen. We can't have one side of it and completely get rid of the other side. It doesn't work that way. So bearing fruit is the thing that should come from a walk that's pleasing the Lord. Look at James chapter 2, verse 18. I went too far. James chapter 2, 18, he's talking about faith and works needing to be together, okay? Also, um, was it, I'm probably gonna forget it wrong, it, Martin Luther or Jonathan Edwards had a real problem with the book of James because they could not figure out how faith and works went together. But he, here, here's what James says in verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. So this person's saying, look, you got faith. You say you got faith. I've got works. James, I love it. This guy, the argumentation is fantastic. <laughs> in verse 18, he says, show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. He says, okay, okay. Putting it in super elegant terms. Okay, Mr. Smarty Pants. You show me your faith without your works. Go ahead, show me. Any of you have kids? You ever ask them to clean their room? They're like, yep, clean my room. It's all done. It's great. It's fantastic. Like, really? It's been two and a half minutes. And for one and a half of those, I heard you in their singing songs. Or if you're my son, pay, playing Beyblades. If you don't know what Beyblades are, they're like these super complicated tops that spin and like burst. It's a thing. My brothers were into it. He's into it. Anyway, you go in there and you're like, dude, there is no evidence in this room that you cleaned anything. 
I mean, the Matchbox cars look like all of 360 exploded at the same time. And your Legos, don't even get me started on those because I stepped on two of them out in the hallway. Yeah, I cleaned. What did you clean? The trash. Did you throw it in the trash can? Yeah, I threw it in the trash can. So you turn around and you look at the trash can and what's happening in the trash can? It's overflowing. Like this is not a clean room. So if there's no evidence of a clean room, what is there evidence of? The opposite of a clean room. He doesn't have a clean room. It's not clean. He didn't do any work for it. When it comes to faith in Christ, if there's no works that come because of a fruitful walk in Christ, because of your faith in Christ, then what do you not have? Maybe you don't have a walk with Christ. If there's no evidence to the positive, then there's probably evidence to the what? To the negative. Well, for you, it would be positive, negative. He says, show me your faith without your works, and I'm going to show you my faith by my works. See, as Christians, as, as, because our life is made new, we should be showing a dying world our faith by our works. Why, why would we not want to? If, think about it this way. If Christ made you brand new, if your life is brand new and it's hidden with Christ in God and you're not concerned with the things of this world which will pass away, but you're concerned with what God has given you, why would you not be showing everyone around you that by what you do? It's the same argumentation God gives me. He says, you don't take a light and hide it under a desk or under a bushel, do you? No, what do you do? You put a light out so that everyone can see it. But if, if we don't have a light that everyone can see, then we have to ask ourselves, we have to be real with ourselves and ask if maybe that light was never there. See, in John, he says, those that went out from us were never really of us because if they were of us, they would have remained with us. But since they no longer remain with us, they were never part of us. See, you can do good things. You can do good deeds. You can have things on the outside that make you look good and nice to people around you. But what might never actually have happened inside? You never made new. It says in Timothy that there are those that have the appearance of godliness but deny its power. Have the appearance of godliness but deny its power. But if you, if you have been made new in Christ, you better believe that those works are following. They're, they're coming. They're, you should be every single day, there should be things that mark your life as affected by Christ Jesus. All right. So knowledge of the Lord produces a walk that's pleasing to the Lord. A pleasing walk requires work. We have to be doing the things that the Lord asked us to do, bearing fruit, which in return increases our knowledge of the Lord. Then what? Verse 11. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. I'm just going to stop there. Does that sound fantastic? That sounds fantastic, doesn't it? Oh, that sounds fantastic. If I told you that for the next six months, you know, we were all gonna, we we're gonna start a church-wide workout program and by the end of six months, all of you would be able to bench press 300 pounds just because you wanted to. You're like, yeah. some of you are like, yes! Yeah, strengthened with all power and might. Yeah. To stand in line at the DMV. 
How many are signing up for that part of the program? Anybody? Anybody want to sign up for that? Really? No? So, so here it says we're strengthened with all power and with all might. Yes. But it doesn't say to conquer the devil. It doesn't say to, to, um, to conquer everything that comes your way in life. It doesn't say that you won't have suffering. What does it say? It says, for all endurance and patience with joy. He says, I'm going to strengthen you. I'm, my might is going to work through you so that in this life, you can endure and you can be patient. Because guess what? This life is not what it's about. It never was and it never will be. But you're going to have to endure and you're going to have to be patient. And I'm going to give you the strength to do that. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Romans 8, 28. It's a great passage of scripture. We've all seen it. We probably all know it. We can probably, can you guys recite it? Can you just say it? Just shout it out. What is it? I hear it. All things. Yep. Look at 828. It says, and we know that all those who love God, for all those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. All things work together for good. God's got a plan. God's got good things for you. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Oh, it's fantastic. Your life is gonna be great. Um, let's look back, shall we? Verse 18, I'm sorry. I, 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 verse 18, for I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that shall be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing and for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain freedom of the glory of the children of God. So he says, first of all, Paul's studying the stage. And he says, I'm convinced. I am convinced that the suffering of this world is nothing compared to the glory which shall be revealed. So the precedent that he sends for this world is what? Suffering. It's pain, it's anguish, it's agony, it's hardships, it's trials, it's suffering. And I think a lot of times in our lives, we want to default to the opposite. We want to think that the thing that we deserve, the thing we should get, the thing the life should be about is goodness and grace and joy and love and happiness and everything. That's not the world we live in. We live in a dark, depraved, sinful, nasty, evil world. And that is the default. And that is the default of our heart. That's the bent we all have. Left alone and left to our device, that's where we end up. Not the other way around. And he says, so I'm convinced that the glory that's coming is it's so much better than what you have now. And then he talks about that. And you can look through the rest of the passage of that scripture. But the, what he's setting up, the premise he's setting up is that the things in this life are not the things that work out for good. The thing that works out for good is what? Your salvation. 
You are held by Christ Jesus. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor principalities, nor powers, nor rulers, nor things to present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation shall separate us from Christ Jesus. Paul gives an exhaustive list. And then if he, he was like, if I haven't covered any bases, because he was dealing with a youth group. You understand that, right? He was dealing with a youth group in these verses. And they were like, well, you didn't talk about, uh, you know, fire. fire. Can fire separate us from the love of God? He didn't talk about crocodiles. Crocodiles can crocodiles separate. He's like, anything else in all of creation? Okay. Nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. That's the thing that works out for good. Or look at, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Here, here's another common one. I, I love this passage. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says... Um, <clears throat> I almost read 10.10. That is not the correct verse. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond what your, your ability, but with the temptation, he will provide a way of escape. We're just gonna stop there. That is not a period. There's a comma, which means we keep going. So that you may bear up under it, or that you may be able to endure it. The trial, the thing that we have to do in this is bear up under it. It's endurance, it's patience. James says, but let patience have her perfect work in you so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Not you are perfect and complete, lacking nothing. You will be perfect and complete, lacking nothing because we lack a whole lot right now. And if we were honest with ourselves, we would all admit that. Patience and endurance. Isaiah says, Isaiah says um, that if we wait on the Lord, we will mount up with wings as eagles. We shall run and not be weary. We shall walk and not faint. It doesn't mean that we sit here and twiddle our thumbs like we're waiting at a bus stop. It means that we cast everything we have. We take everything we are and we lay it at the feet of Jesus continually, day after day after day after day. And we say, Lord, I don't have enough. I never did and I never will but I know you are. You're enough. And you always were. And that's how it all works. He says, <laughs> why? Because work requires endurance. Our salvation requires endurance. Salvation, our, our see, I think a lot of times we, we want to be like, ah, Jesus Christ saved me, end of story. But, but we don't realize this when we use the word saved in our English language, it kind of does an injustice to the process because there's two, there's three big terms that we have to confront when we're talking about the salvation of our souls. We have to talk about justification, sanctification, and glorification. And all three of those work in conjunction with each other and they're all separate and they all have different definitions. Justification is being declared righteous. God did everything. He redeemed you for his own purpose. You didn't have anything to do with it. You were condemned. Look, look, look in Colossians. Look at this. We're not going to get here, but I circled these things in my Bible. You can do what you want. I find it helpful. But look at verse 15. I'm going to read 15 and following and just listen to this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. By him, all things 
are created in heaven and on earth, invisible and visible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. We're seeing a pattern. Don't worry, he keeps going. <laughs> That is in everything he may be preeminent for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of his cross and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds. He, we have a glowing reputation right here. I mean, we get like one little blurb and it's, you were alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Thanks. Thanks, Paul. <laughs> he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless above reproach before who? Him. It's all about him. From the beginning all the way to the end. He says, I am the alpha and the omega. I am the beginning and the end. Not you. And yet, what do we do all the time? We want to make what Christ is doing about me. It's not about me. It can't be about me because if it's about me, God wouldn't ask me to do it. Because he wants the glory. He wants the reputation. He wants the fame. And I'm supposed to give it to him because I recognize what he's done for me because he's faithful, because he sacrificed himself, because he went willingly to the cross and sacrificed his own life to pay my debt because it was required by his law that he do it and he willingly did it himself. And then what did he do? He didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave because here's the thing. The devil, the devil ate a lamb and didn't realize he swallowed a lion. Because God knew exactly what he was doing from the beginning all the way through now. That's what our life, that's what justification is. It's not you. So it's justification, sanctification. What's sanctification? Sanctification is you doing what you're supposed to because God did that for you. It's not to get it. It's because you already have it. I didn't obey my parents to get their love. I had their love. I knew it. I did it because they loved me, because they wanted what's best for me, because they cared about me. Sometimes I really did not understand their brand of caring. And it's okay. I did not, I did not get it. I was like, mom, why can't I do this? Why can't I do that? Because I said so. That's fantastic. But they love me. That's why we do it. Sanctification, I've said, I've used it before. I'll use it again. I used it in the first service. Here's the example. You want some peanut butter and jelly. So you go to the fridge, you go to the cabinet, you pull out some bread. It might be white bread, wheat bread. If you're one of those rye bread people, well, we can talk after. Um, I, I can't, rye bread and Brussels sprouts. Mm -mm, not happening. Some people, we're, we're gonna fight in the parking lot over Brussels sprouts, but that's okay. 
you pull it out, you get it out of the fridge or the cabinet, wherever it is, and you put it on the counter. It's separating the thing that, from every, every day, mundane life, and you're gonna do one specific wonderful thing through it. You're gonna combine two flavors that have been combined since the beginning of time to create an explosion of deliciousness, unparalleled. And the only way to make it better is if you toast those two pieces of bread first. A warm peanut butter with that cool jelly, it's lovely. The only thing better than that is a nice mutton, lettuce, and tomato. When the mutton is nice and lean and tomatoes are nice and perky, I love that, okay? That is sanctification. It's taking your life from who you were and it's separating you out and it's doing something that only God can do through you. That's sanctification and that's our part in it. We have to be doing what God has asked us to do because he did not abolish the law, he fulfilled it. All right. Look at this. Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Who qualified you? He did. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. There's only one way to be redeemed from who we were and that is Christ Jesus and Christ Jesus alone. And I don't know about you, but if you're sitting here today and you don't have that, I can't imagine what it's like living your life hoping that one day maybe this God or some other God or no God is gonna have mercy on you and look at your life and go, oh yeah, you somehow balanced the scales. I, would, I can't stand living every day like that, like not knowing what, that, that would be misery beyond belief. And you wonder why we have mental health problems. You wonder why we, have, why we see what we see in our world. It's because we don't put our faith in Christ Jesus. Because it's not about how much we do. It's not about how good we are. It's about the fact that God saw both of those things as you can't do it, I'm gonna do it for you. I'm gonna take care of it. And that I'm gonna take a bunch of ragtag, horrible human beings and I'm gonna drag them to glory in my coattails because I wanted to do it that way. In Ephesians, it says, for the purpose of his own will. I love that phrase, for the purpose of his own will, because my salvation is not dependent on me or the circumstances around me. It's dependent on Christ Jesus, and he does not operate by my, my same standard. That's the beauty of Christ Jesus. It goes counter to everything we see in our culture. We can't do enough. We never could. And because we couldn't, Christ did it for us. So now, now that you've been made new, live a life that pleases him. Because knowledge of God leads to a life that pleases God. A life that pleases God leads to fruit that pleases God, which leads to knowledge of God. It, and in doing so, we will be able to declare to a dying world that we know exactly where we're going and exactly how they can be redeemed through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for who you are. 
We thank you for your goodness and your grace in our lives. Lord, we thank you that, that there is nothing in us that made you... <laughs> that made you do what you did. You simply did it because you loved and you wanted to redeem a fallen humanity. And Lord, may we rest in that today. And Lord, may we live a life that pleases you. We ask all these things in your name, amen.